Well, good morning. First, let me begin by saying how grateful I am to Pastor Fell and Pastor Brian for the privilege this morning and on a Memorial Day weekend. Well, our scripture reading for today is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 through 45, which you can follow on the screen, Matthew 26, 36 through 45. Then Jesus went with his disciples to, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away for a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. April 1863 in Columbus, Mississippi, after decorating the graves of her two sons who died representing the South, an elderly woman walked over to two mounds of dirt at the corner of the cemetery to place memorial flowers there as well. What are you doing? A friend shouted. Softly, that compassionate mother responded, I know. Those are graves of two Union soldiers. But I also know that somewhere in the North, a mother or a young wife mourns for them as we do for ours. Now, five years later, in 1868, General John Logan, a former Union general, was also the national commander of the General Army of the Republic, issued a general order that read, Let us then at this time appointed gather around their sacred remains and garland them with the choicest of flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. In the solemn presence, renew our pledge to aid and assist those whom they left among us. The soldiers, the sailors, widows, and orphans. And this order later became known as the Memorial Day Order. And here we are. 159 years later from that time, on this Memorial Day weekend. Friends, you see, when there are no boundaries, there, there are no clicking clocks, no time limits when it comes to when and how long we should honor those who have served. 
or are serving or have given their lives because of their service. Going all the way back to the Revolutionary War, and you can fast forward that to the wars in the Middle East and Afghanistan, and, and wherever or whenever our country has called upon our brave men and women to serve. The truth of the matter is, much of these brave men and women have given their entire lives fighting for our freedom while we carry on with our busy lives. And today and for, for every day possible, they deserved to be honored. See, these men and women of all ages demonstrate for us as followers of Christ, the true meaning of sacrifice for the good of our fellow men, women, and children, for the good of God's people, for the good of mankind. Now, isn't that what we are all commanded to do as followers of Christ? Isn't that what we're all called to do? Well, let me ask this. So it is Memorial Day weekend, uh, but when we think of this holiday, what comes to mind? For many of us, when we think of Memorial Day, when I think of Memorial Day, the first thing that comes to mind is, is the start of summer. Maybe laying out at the beach or the pool. And for many of us with jobs, it's a nice, long, three-day weekend, but thank God for jobs. But you also have to put cooking out with friends and family coming over on that list, especially since the aroma of the grill is so self-inviting. I look forward tomorrow to crank up my old grill. See, some of us look forward to all the sales that goes on during the weekend. Maybe it's time for a new car or some new tools, or maybe it's a remodeling project that we're taking on. You see, we think of a lot of things, a lot of tangibles other than the true meaning of Memorial Day. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with being excited about the start of summer or a long weekend or having family and friends coming over. But that is not what Memorial Day is all about. It is a day to honor the men and the women who died while serving our country particularly those who have died in battle because of the wounds they sustained. In other words, Memorial Day and the purpose of Memorial Day is to memorialize and honor the veterans who made the sacrifice for our country. It is to acknowledge, a day to acknowledge, a day to contemplate, a day to reminisce those who have given the service for our nation in pursuit of peace and freedom. And not, not only for us as Americans, but for the good of mankind all around the world. And that is what we, as Americans, proudly stands for. Hank Black, I know it's... A little early for you in the West Coast, and if you're watching, you and your family and so many others come to mind for the sacrifices your loved ones have paid, and we thank them. But as followers of Christ, 
Memorial Day has another particular relevance to it as we think about all those who have given their lives throughout the ages and all those who have died sharing the gospel and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation all around the world. Stephen, if you may recall, was stoned to death. John the Baptist was beheaded upon the order of Herod, and his head was served on a platter upon the request of Herodias to her daughter Salome. The endless persecution of the Apostle Paul is another. But there have been thousands more and names that you may have never heard of who were put to death because of their unwavering Christian values and their proclamation of the gospel all around the world. My wife, Shireen, will, will tell you how, how terrible my memory is. It is indeed terrible. And um, sometimes she might ask me a question, and I responded to you. But if just a few moments later, I would ask, Honey, what did you just ask me? I, it so happened that I do our grocery shopping, let's say 99% of the times. And it's not because I love doing it, but it's because Shireen hates going to the grocery store. Now, maybe Macy's and the mall is a whole different story for her, but that's another story for another time and another sermon. But because she knows how terrible my memory is, she would have to send me text messages with grocery lists so that I don't forget what I came for in the first place. You see, the fact of the matter is that we struggle when it comes to our recollection of things. We struggle when it comes to remembering things. We need special reminders and calendars of special events or landmarks to help us to remember things of occasion of significance to us. And it's something that we often take for granted. But when it comes to those who have given their ultimate lives... Let us not forget about the price that they have paid for our freedom. My son-in-law, Jason, is an ex-Marine, and I have friends who have or are serving in the military today, and I've had to ask them about it. But I can assure you that the first thing that comes to the mind of those who have served and have given their lives for the cause of freedom was not about their own lives, but it was about the lives of others. They were willing and prepared to make that sacrifice fully well aware and knowing what the cost was. So let us pause for a moment and think about it. Isn't that exactly the way Jesus taught about us when he left his throne and came to dwell among us, knowing that his death was imminent? You see, Jesus had the power and the authority to walk away from the cross, but he didn't. He, he had the power to, to walk away from the cross. He did not. After all, he was God. He created the world and everything in it. But he could have done whatever he wanted to do, and he did not. Because he knew the satisfaction of redeeming our souls for our sins 
will dominate the temporary pain confronting the cross and the days leading up to it. You see, he was thinking about about you and I. He was not thinking uh, about himself. And about, he came and, and he was thinking about fulfilling what he came to do so that you and I can be set free from sin by taking our place on the cross, a place where we belong, not him. Because we are more than chemicals or cells that form our body. We are a special creation of God. We are God's masterpiece, his workmanship, his crown creation, his crown jewel. Yes, indeed. He was more concerned about our eternal lives than the gruesome and hideous pain and suffering that he would endure. And none of this was a surprise to Jesus, none. He, he knew about the trial, he knew about his crucifixion, but he also knew about his resurrection and ultimately defeating death, and that is the core and the heart of our Christian faith. The pain and the agony alone, knowing what was to come, was so intense that he said to Peter and James and John while praying in the garden, said, my soul is so overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then in verse 39, the scripture says, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And in verse 42, he went away for a second time and prayed. So my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. And in verse 44, so he left them and went away once more and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing. And that was just a preview or a trailer of the pain and the suffering Jesus would endure or experience over the next 18 to 20 hours leading up to his death. Friends, I must apologize for the graphic cruelty and the display of that cruelty as a mean or means of his sacrifices, but there is no better way to explain it, simply because what he endured was totally unimaginable. Now, this is not a fairy tale. It is not a story. It is not fiction, because it is what happened to our Lord and Savior. It's what they did to him. Have any of you been flogged before? Well, I hope not, because it is cruel. And a whipping was an act of corporate punishment, and it goes back all the way to the rule of the Roman Empire. It was, it was also used as other forms of capital punishment right here in America until the practice was abolished in 1972, because it was cruel and inhumane, to say the least. 
And as a sacrifice for our sins, Jesus endured lashes at, and lashes at, after lashes that left deep bloody wounds on his pure and sinless body. Can you imagine for a moment what it must have felt like for him as the Roman soldiers whipped him lash after lash after lash? I love gardening, and I typically don't like wearing gloves. And occasionally my fingers would get pricked by a few rose thorns or two. And my wife will tell you when that happens, I'm like a little child. Seriously. Now, I want you to picture for a moment what it must have felt like for Jesus when a crown of thorns was placed on his, forehead, on his head as a mockery for being the king of the Jews. Thorns piercing through his skin with his precious blood oozing down the side of his forehead and into his face. Picture Jesus for a moment carrying his cross on his back and shoulder with gaping wounds from the lashes he received. Picture him with the cross slipping away from his body due to the sweat and the blood from his wounds and not being able to stop for a moment or take a drink of water or a break or a breather. Picture his hands and his feet being nailed to the cross and what it must have felt like as his bones were crushed as they drove the nail mercilessly deeper and deeper and deeper. And if that was not enough, even after he was already dead, the Roman soldiers shamelessly took their spear and drove it into his side. Friends, in the history of mankind, there could not have been anything more cruel or painful than what Jesus had to endure as a sacrifice for us. Here is a story that was most recently published in the Pictou Advocate and probably used in many sermons before. But back in the days of the Great Depression, a Missouri man named John Griffith was the controller of a great railroad crossing bridge over the Mississippi River. And one day in the summer of 1837, he decided to take his eight-year-old son Greg with him to work. And at noon, John put the bridge up to allow ships to pass and sat on the observation deck with his son John to eat lunch. Time passed by quickly. Suddenly, he, he was startled by the shrieking of a train's whistle in the distance. He quickly looked at his watch and noticed it was 1.07 p.m. And the Memphis Express with 400 passengers on board was roaring towards the rear bridge. He leaped from the observation deck and ran back to the control tower. And just before throwing the master lever, he decided to look down and glance to see if there are any ships below. There a sight caught his eyes that caused his heart to leap and pound into his chest. Greg had slipped from the observation deck and had fallen into the massive gears that operated the bridge. And desperately, John's mind whirled to devise a rescue plan. But as soon as he thought of a possibility, he knew that there was no way it could be done. Again, 
the alarming closeness, the train whistles shriek in the air. He could hear the clicking of the locomotive wheels on the tracks. That was his son down there. But yet, there were 400 passengers on that train. You see, John knew what he had to do, so he buried his head in his arm and pushed that master switch forward. And then that great massive bridge lowered into place just as the Memphis Express began to roar across the river. When John lifted his head, his face was smeared with tears as he looked through the windows of the passing train. There were businessmen casually reading the afternoon papers, finely dressed with ladies in the dining car sipping coffee, and children, some probably the age of Greg, pushing long spoons of ice cream into their ice cream dishes. See, no one looked at the control house. No one looked at the gearbox. No one cared. But the real and the true real uh, reality of, uh, that is illustrated in the story is while John Griffith chose to sacrifice his son Greg, the world keeps spinning as though nothing happened and not realizing what the father had done. Now, the same thing happened over 2,000 years ago when God gave his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. Friends, I want you to know this today. That the esteem that Jesus placed on our lives cannot be compared to anything of value. And that by itself should help us to appreciate our significance in the eyes of God. And I'm not talking about our wealth. I'm not talking about how much we tied on Sunday. I'm not talking about our social standing. It's not about what we have done to deserve God's love or grace, but it is because who we are. And what it comes down to is the unconditional love that, that God has for us, regardless of who we are, where we came from, or what we look like. Because in the eyes of God, we are his children. We are created in his perfect image, and he loves us all the same. That is how God looks at us. And he did what he did on the cross because of his unconditional love. For each and every one of us. You see, it's not about what we say. It's not about what we do. It's not about who we are. You don't have to say something. You don't have to do something. You don't have to be something for him to love you. Because he already loves you no matter what. His love is not based on what you and I can do for him. But it's purely based on who we are to him and what he has done for us. Friends, we, we all have to be grateful for the freedom that we enjoy in this country as a benefit from the sacrifices of the brave men and women who have given their lives so that we can enjoy that freedom. And listen to this. Please don't get me wrong. I know that there is serious division in our country and many countries around the world 
Seems like everything has an idolatrous motive to it, to it one way or the other. Wars, conflicts, injustice, political unrest, and the list goes on and on and on. But our foremost compelling shortcoming in this world is not for physical, civil, or radical freedom. Our foremost compelling shortcoming in this world today is release and deliverance from our sins and the consequences of our sins. And for our lives to be filled with Jesus and to allow our lives to be consumed by him and how we think and how we live and how we love for him. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, when you sink your thoughts deep into this verse, you will realize how profound and deep our sins and our transgressions are for Jesus to have endured what he did. And, and the truth of the matter is, you know, we, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all made mistakes in our lives. We have hurt people we really love. And we've all said and done things that we wish we could take back and undo. And for me personally, here's, here's what I struggle with. Although some people may say, well, David, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It's not that important. Don't worry about it. I know that deep down in there, there's a penalty to be paid, but I also know that I am not capable of paying that penalty myself. And right here in Isaiah 53, 5, I realize that someone else had come and already paid that penalty for me. And in place of judgment, I can know grace. In place of death, I can know life. And I can know peace through his sacrifice on my behalf. You see, you see, Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for you and I so that we may have abundant life, eternal life in him, not just 118 years as the oldest person living today or maybe 969 years as Methuselah did, but it's for eternity. It means forever. There is no end to it. That's the life we look forward to living with our Lord and Savior when he comes to reign with us again. So, so what are you struggling with today? What battles are you fighting but are too weak to fight back? Are you in a spiritual warfare and is feeling defeated? Then listen to the sounds of the cross and draw near to him who not only knows your battles, but also suffered for you. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this day in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we glorify you, and we welcome your graceful, comforting, passionate, merciful, and loving presence among us today. 
Lord, we are so grateful that while there are time limits for many things, your love for us has no end, no conditions, no limitations because you love us for who we are and just as we are. Lord, we give thanks to all those who have given their lives and service so that we can enjoy freedom. But most of all, we give thanks to you for our salvation, for our redemption, and for setting us free from the bondage of sin and death and replacing that with grace and eternal life in your presence. Glory be to you in the highest. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.